people don't have a lot of time to get themselves, you know, back in balance and claim their health back and, you know, start living their authentic life. And food is the first portal to this awareness. That's the lovely Julie Pyatt. And welcome to another Ask Me Anything episode of the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show. I'm Rich Roll. I am the captain of this ship. You who's, are. Who's the co-captain? Julie Pyatt is the co-captain. You are? Who, co-captain who is today. Julie Pyatt? Who is Julie Pyatt? I don't know. I don't She's know. A, this is the question I wake up asking myself every day. <laughs> no, it's like, that just remind me of one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I think it's like, what about Schmidt? And it's uh, Jack Nicholson and... He, about Schmidt. Oh, about... It, what did I say? What about Schmidt? Oh, sorry. You're thinking about What About Bob. <laughs> That's right. About Schmidt. One of Mathis's so, favorite movies. No. So there's a scene, one of my favorite scenes, and there's this voiceover, and then, you know, he says, and, and, and I keep asking myself, who is this old woman sleeping in my bed? <laughs> <laughs> he like and it you know, shows they, his wife. And, yeah, like you know they've been married like a million years, you know, <laughs> and it's like you know he hasn't noticed that he's aging, and then he just says, you know, who is this old lady in my bed? <laughs> right, that's pretty. So funny. I hope I'm not that yet. You're, you're, we, have a, we have a few few miles before that. Definitely not that. <laughs> I'm wondering who you are, but I'm not wondering that. That's good. That's so, a good thing. Anyway, this is the podcast. We're back doing uh, another. Ask Me Anything episode. Uh, we've been going a couple weeks now of doing two a week. This is like a breakneck pace. Yeah, I know. This, this is, is like, crazy. It's our it's a lot of things work, are coming man. and going, and I it's know. happening. Hey, everybody. Like me, Inside Tracker wants to help you start the new year right. So they're thrilled to help support the Living Proof Challenge, the no cost, science-based habit-building program designed by my well-being wizard brother, Simon Hill, to specifically up-level the most important biomarkers that drive health span, that drive disease prevention, physical fitness, and mental well-being, courtesy of a doable, evidence-based 12-week program elaborated upon in length in my conversation with Simon that dropped January 1. That's RRP804. If you listen to that episode then you know the program entails comprehensive blood testing at both the commencement and conclusion of the challenge. And nobody handles blood testing better than Inside Tracker, who are graciously encouraging everyone to join the no cost challenge by offering a 25% off discount on Inside Tracker tests. To unlock the discount and learn more about this challenge, visit theproof.com/livingproof. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made. And that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with 
none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive, and the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by Seed. Gut health is all the rage. There's good reason for that. I've probably devoted, I don't know, at least a dozen episodes of this podcast to the many, many crucial ways the microbiome contributes to your overall well-being or lack thereof, and to the many diet and lifestyle protocols we should all adopt to promote gut health, from fermented food to fiber and everything in between, including, of course, the importance of supplementing with a probiotic. And the one that I have come to trust far beyond the shenanigans of the supplement world is Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. It's the most solid, science-based, and rigorously evidence-backed probiotic and prebiotic on the market. Formulated for optimal digestion, gut immune function, gut barrier integrity, skin health. In fact, my 16-year-old daughter has been using it to clear up a significant acne issue, and it's been wonderful, as well as many other systemic benefits. Like I said, I've been taking it daily personally for years. I love it. My body loves it. And right now for our listener community, Seed is offering 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Visit seed.com slash richroll and use the code richroll25 to redeem this offer. That's seed.com slash richroll or code richroll25. All right, cool. So this week we switched it up a little bit and I gave Julie an assignment and I said, I want you to go through all the Q&A emails that we got and you get to pick the things that we're going to talk about today. So we'll see how that goes. We'll see how that goes. How's it going over it's there? Going, I have She's a few. at her laptop. I have a few, but then I was in yoga and I was, you know, a lot of the questions are kind of similar in some ways. So then right, I was starting to think like, to... did I answer this before? Or did we say this? But no, we, we, have, we have some new ones. So... So should I just jump right in? Yeah, go for it. Okay, awesome. So um, the first question, uh, it's kind of a long question. And again, it's from a young person. So I'm going to say, I kind of jump in in the middle of this question. It is from, uh-oh, don't tell me I don't have his name. That's not good. Yeah, you're fired. I'm fired already. I don't have his name. All right, just read um, the question. I'll, I'll read it. I'm a 20-year-old college student attending Baylor University in Texas. My family is very ill with preventable illnesses like dangerously high blood pressure, obesity, and diabetes. Um, they deny it has anything to do with their food, but it's not just my family that seems to have closed eyes. My mother's doctor, when speaking to her about a brain tumor she recently had removed, told her that her refusal to eat vegetables has absolutely nothing to do with her declining state of health. It's kind of similar, right? <laughs> yeah, I do my yeah. best not to overstep boundaries and step on toes, but it's so hard to do when I just feel like getting on my knees and begging them all to wake up. Oh, I'm sorry. My family is dying and many relatives that are still alive wouldn't be if not for the reliance on countless pills and shots every day. 
Whenever I say much about the benefits of eating plant-based or exercising, I'm instantly shut down as the weird kid who's going through a phase. I've been told over and over not to expect people to change once they get older. Okay. So, um, I mean, where to even begin? Where with to that? begin? I mean, with this that. is the sixty-four dollar question. Like this, this, this question is at the heart of everything, right? It brings up everything. It brings yes. up, you know, our emotional, you know, landscape around food choices. It's you know the psychology of the child-parent relationship. It's you know, it's, it's everything tricky. I everything. found her name, by the way, and Lexi. I don't know if you're if you're a male or female, Lexi Smith. So Lexi, thank you so much for your email. And um, yeah, I mean, where to begin, where to begin, where to begin. It's, a, it's that thing, you know, you've obviously been placed by, you know, by the creation into the middle of a community that is completely oriented in a completely different way. And that community is your family. And it's very, very hard for those of us who can see a better way and see, you know, that that our loved ones are killing themselves and hurting themselves, yet they are not able to take the assistance or take the guidance or take, take your hand. So again, I would say that, you know, your biggest power is in neutrality, neutral, loving compassion. So understand that they just, they can't, they don't have the frequency to see and experience what you're experiencing. So the only place you can really go to is within yourself and continue to, you know, be a living example, but find a way to be kind and compassionate and sort of allow them to acclimate to what you're presenting to them. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, sort of part and parcel with that is to, that doesn't mean that you have to give up. You know, I just think it's about your relationship to results because basically the fact that they're not responding the way that you want them to is causing frustration and resentment and sadness and a whole battery of like negative feelings in you and probably in them as well. So maybe, you know, approach the opportunity from a different place. You can continue to show up with, Hey, here's a beautiful, you know, plant-based meal that I brought to the family. You know, why don't you try this? But just if they don't want it or whatever, you just be cool with that. Like don't have an expectation that they're going to bite, but you can keep showing up with it and keep showing up with it. Like that's similar to the way that we've kind of gotten our kids onto healthier eating patterns by just showing up with the healthy foods all the time Mm -hmm. and not creating hardness around it. But like, Hey, here's what's here. Here's what's here. Just kind of relentlessly doing that, but doing it with, with grace and love and, and really being divorced um, about whether they like it or say no to it or, decline it or whatever happens. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big challenge because really for you to be very very effective, you have to, well, your greatest power is to find a space where you you love them even when they're eating that huge steak or you love your family even when they're taking the pharmaceutical pills. You have to you have to be loving them while they're in their experience. And this is, it's actually deep experience that Rich and I had. And it was, you know, within our relationship and, you know, Rich writes that, you know, in the early days you could draw a line down the refrigerator and you could see the foods I was eating and the foods he was eating. And for many, many years, I knew that he was poisoning himself and that he was not in touch with with his authentic heart and he was not living his potential. And he was suffering in many ways, you know, through his, you know, kind of different densities and troubles he was having, struggles. And he would not 
take my hand. He would not make the shift. And I mean, this was a long period of time. Like it was like seven year period or something. I, it took me a long long? time to get it. Well, maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe it was like five, but you know, everybody else knew how right I was. Okay. So looking at your email, it's like you're proposing very logical, healthy things. So you're not, it's not that you don't have wisdom, but the, the shift for me was when I really started to look at it from a more expanded perspective. And that is that, you know, everybody is an emanation of God or an emanation of creation. And I got to a place in my awareness where I realized that um, I was loving rich from a very human place of expectation of, you know, which is in every human relationship. He was loving me the same way too. You know, it was like, if you do this, then we're in a relationship and that's how, you know, you, you do X and I do Y and that means we're okay with each other. Well, I started to look at divine, you know, divine love. And so divine love is like the sun and it shines on everybody. You know, it's, it doesn't discriminate. And so who was I to be judging, having judgment at him that he was drinking a venti Starbucks with three ad shots in it. Who, who was I to really judge that? And when I finally got that and I brought that into our, our lives and my energy, he could feel this very profound shift. And suddenly I was out of his space and he, that was the catalyst that, that began the birth of Ultraman the birth of who he became. It was when I stopped needing him to be other than he was. Now, did that mean that I ate fast food with him? No, never. Did that mean that I did, you know, I was drinking a venti coffee with three headshots? No, never. So I still did my thing. I still healed the cyst in my neck and I lived as an example to him and those around me. And then when I actually released him to his own life in respect and love, that is when his life catalyzed this transformation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was powerful. And I think what happened, what happened to me is that when I could sense that shift, and it wasn't a spoken thing, it's, it's not like she announced to me that she was you know, relinquishing this, this desire. Like it just, she basically made this commitment, and I could sense the energy shift. And what, and what that did was suddenly, you know, that with that pressure release, there's a vacuum and something has to fill that void, right? So what filled that? Well, suddenly it was this dawning realization that, that actually, you know, this is on me now. And so it's not about like, oh, I got to change because somebody wants me to change. It's, it made me really look at myself and say, well, what do I want? Like, what am I doing? Is this really what I want to be doing? You know, and I never really pondered that. I was more, you know, in a defensive mode all the time. <clears throat> and when that when I didn't need to be defensive anymore, I think that allowed me to kind of um, look at the situation from a different perspective. And I think that was the beginning of starting to, you know, walk in a new trajectory. Mm-hmm. And I mean, with Rich and I, I mean, we're, you know, we're soul partners. So it's a little different relationship than you, you know, inside your family. And I would also just add to you that, you know, it's not that common that our family change, that families change because of a sibling, because of a family member. I mean, sometimes families even push against that harder. You know what I mean? Like it, you may be telling them all this stuff and then in another year 
they may see a movie over at a friend's house and then they might, you know, stop drinking soda and you'll, you'll be going like, what do you, I've been telling you that for like two years and you never listen to me because for some reason, like, you know, your your own family can't recognize the wisdom that is within you. Like it's, it's just not set up like that. And then the final thing that I would add to is that because you're in your twenties, you know, you're in this beautiful beautiful, altruistic, like, you know, fresh state. And, you know, I don't, I don't know you personally, but I know from me being 20 and also having a 20 year old son, you know, you, you, you can be, you know, 20 is a very passionate, very sort of, uh, politically, you know, it's a very black and white. It can be very, very passionate and very like, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. And as you age and you get, you know, you get more experience, you start to learn that, no, the, the world is really pretty gray in a lot of areas. And so, you know, I, uh, I applaud you and I honor you and, uh, I'm, I'm happy for you that you have this awareness and um, also, you can relax a little bit with it, and it's mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hard willfulness is not going to is not going to you know catalyze the result that you're looking for. So relax and take a different approach. And that approach starts with, like we said to Viba, you know, stand in the light and you know be strong in your convictions, but. That doesn't mean proselytizing or forcing yourself on others or preaching. Mm-hmm. And also from a spiritual standpoint, one more thing, <laughs> from a spiritual standpoint, um, you know, we incarnate into families and it doesn't mean that you're on the same timeline as everyone in your family. And that can be very painful because, you know, I think, you know, we, we want all of our family members to come along with us, um, but that's just not the truth of what's happening. So you have to allow them their own life experience. It's their life. It's mm-hmm. their choice. Yeah. And it's, I mean, in, in our relationship dynamic, I mean, we're, a, we're a married couple. So it was sort of this, you know, even handed, um, you know, kind of on par type situation. But when you're dealing with a parent and a child, there's a different power dynamic there. So suddenly when the child reaches 20, they have some experience in the world. And like you said, some, some kind of, sometimes that comes in the form of something idealistic or altruistic. The parents like, what, you know, I don't have anything to learn from my kid. Mm-hmm. So it becomes harder. I think it's harder to penetrate to break that. that. Yep. So anyway, well, but anyway, good work. Yeah, I'm glad you're there. I'm glad you're on the planet. All right. So thank you. Let's pick a new one. Let's pick a new one. Okay. What do you got? Um, have, I wonder, I think you, I seriously thought you answered this before. Okay. I'm going to read this one. Um, okay. So this is from Dylan. Uh, hi Dylan. Oh wait, sorry. Did I mess it up again? No, Dylan, it's yours. Okay. So it says, how do you balance a competitive fire and having a heart of love and compassion? At 42, I am not interested anymore in material things. I want to be love. I just do not know how to balance the two. Just thought you might have some interest, interesting feedback. Hmm. Well, I'm trying to understand. Like he's saying balance the competitive fire, but it sounds like he doesn't have a competitive fire. No, let fire. me know he does, actually. I'll go back. Let, oh. me, let me give you some more history on it. Okay. So it, it says um, uh, racing, and let me see. I have a heavy racing season with a 50K trail run, racing the Boston Marathon. Then five days later, the Indiana Trail 100 capped off with the I Am Maryland. So yeah, he has a lot. Okay. Um, At the end of the year, an earlier podcast with Preston Smiles brought me even closer to the fact that I need 
to, I need love to be the guiding factor in my life. That's beautiful. This paired with you and Julie's incredible guidance in my life and me putting better reading and information into my brain has led me to a place where competition is hard to embrace. I used to thrive on it. I used anger and comparisons to others as fuel to drive me. Mm -hmm. It was all about ego and shallow trinkets. As I heal myself, this is who I do not want to be. This mm -hmm. weekend, I raced the very challenging Mountain Mist 50K in Huntsville, Alabama. All right. Okay, I got it. Okay. So basically, there are different kinds of competitiveness, right? And, and there are different motivations for competitiveness. You can be competitive because, uh, you know, you have this drive to, to win and be the best. And that can be coming from a place of ego. You can be coming from a place of anger and wanting to make sure that you are better than somebody else or that somebody else doesn't win. You know, like there are different, it's like the emotion behind it is really the crucial line of inquiry, not the competitiveness itself. I mean, the other form of competitiveness and a healthier version would be trying to be the best version of yourself, right? Like being competitive with yourself versus um, comparisons with the outside world. Mm -hmm. Would you oh. agree with that? So that's yeah. the starting point, right? Like what is the derivation of this competitiveness? And tracing that back down to, you know, your primary emotional drivers. You know, is it insecurity? Is it, um, is it pride? Is it anger? Is it ego? Is it, you know, what, what, what is behind all of that? And I'm not saying it's an unhealthy motivation. You know, competition can be a good thing. You know, I think competition propels you to, you know, unlock yourself and achieve certain things that lead to, um, you know, good emotions like self-esteem, et cetera. So I don't, I'm not against competitiveness and I'm a very innately competitive person myself, but I think my competitiveness has always been driven not, um, not to like beat other people. It's always been like, I'm just trying to like achieve my personal potential, mm -hmm. you know, but I think that 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 has evolved as well. And like, and all the travel that I'm doing and the emails that come in and all that kind of stuff, like a consistent question is always, <clears throat> when's your next race? What are you training for? And I always get like, I feel weird because it's like, I'm not racing right now, you know? And then I feel like I should be, or there's an expectation that I need to be in order to continue to be relevant or, or what have you in being a voice of this movement. Um, but my motivations have, ch have shifted and my own sort of perspective on competitiveness has changed, right? So, um, you know, when I was training for Ultraman in 2009, I was very, very competitive and driven, competitive mostly, mostly with myself. It didn't have anything to do with anybody else, but I really needed to like see what I was capable of. Like I was incredibly motivated to um, make sure that when I raced, I was, you know, I, I could finish a race and say, I gave that everything and this is what I got, right? Mm -hmm. I needed to know that for myself. So I was obsessed with, you know, it wasn't about a medal or anything like, like the trinket. Like I've never cared about that kind of stuff, but like I would obsess on my power meter results and graphs and where is my heart rate and what's going on and, and all of that. And that was an interesting period of time. And I learned a lot about myself and I wouldn't change it for a million for a million dollars. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for anything, but now, um, you know, life is different and my motivations are different and my motivation is more to try to figure out ways to help people and spread this message. And, and life has gotten very busy with a lot of amazing opportunities that are as a result of doing this work. And, and so I'm presented with really cool things to do with my life that were not part of our life, you know, a couple of years ago. And, and I'm embracing that. 
and I don't want to feel guilty because I'm not racing, but I just don't have enough hours to do all of it. And so what I'm getting to in a very long-winded way is something that you have said to me, which is you need to keep training. This is part of who you are. This cannot be something that is in the past, but you've got to do it for different reasons. You've got to find the love in it. You've got to do it for the love. And, and that's been a challenge to try to step into a different perspective on what for me has always been inherently, you know, something that is about competition. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how this is answering his question, but no, I he think just that- asked for some feedback. I mean, I think he's experiencing some of the same things. And, you know, then he says that, you know, he was racing, uh, the mountain missed 50 K and his watch was not working. So when he hit the halfway mark, he feeling great, seven minutes slow, he melted down when he saw mm-hmm. that he was seven mil- minutes slow, he melted down. And then he says, I was angry and I wanted to drop. I was worried about shallow things. Then it hit me. This is about the journey. I allowed, um, no, I slowed down. I was encouraging other runners that passed me, which is beautiful. And he finished, but then he was just kind of confused by all of it. So he's kind of, I think he's in, you know, I think you're in a process of figuring out. It's like, you know, competition and now you're making a transition into, you know, maybe more of a love of racing or more of like, a, mm-hmm. you know, like encouraging your fellow runners on the trail. And that's one of the beautiful things about Ultraman is it's, you know, it's got this whole Ohana like family vibe and the, the crews help other racers. Like everybody helps everybody, which is really yeah, incredible. Yeah, make it makes it amazing. And a lot of ultra, most ultra races are like are that. Like that. It's a very much, it's very much mm-hmm. a community kind of, you know, supportive community perspective on, on sport, which I think is really cool. And I think it fosters this kind of evolution and mentality that, um, yeah, you want to go out and you want to, you want to, you know, have a great race and have a great experience. Um, but ultimately what's important is, is enjoying it and being part of the community. Mm -hmm. Right. And in some way, giving back to that community. So by encouraging the other runners and participating in a, in a way that transcends whatever your Garmin says, I mm-hmm. think is where you find, um, you know, the true meaning that will carry with you for the rest of your life. Right. Well, and I also think, I think there's another transcendental place that's even beyond that level of racing. Because when you think about, you know, the, the Mayan runners or, you know, the, you know, the guys from born to run, like they don't, they don't use meters and they're not checking their, you know, verticals yeah, or the Mara, Like I was in Mexico city and I got to spend time with Silvio, who is one of the most amazing human beings I've ever met. One of the true Tarahamara champions. And they just don't, they don't look at running or competition in even the remotely the same way that the Western world does. Yeah. They're not wearing heart rate monitors and garments. They're not even wearing shoes. Right. And so <laughs> right. they just go out and do it for the love and they'll show up and do it, do a race. It's certainly not about a trinket. They're doing it because this is what their community does. And this is what they love to do. They don't even track time the way that we do. And it was interesting when I was there, um, it was a runner's world kind of sponsored weekend and event. And I was talking to one of the journalists for Runner's World, and he had recently done a cover story for that magazine on Silvio. And he was saying that when he was talking to him and asking him questions in the interview, he said, oh, something like, oh, you remember, you know, five years ago when you ran this race and, and you won it or something like that. And, and apparently uh, it's Silvino, not Silvio. Silvino uh, looked at him sort of befuddled or confused, like he didn't really understand the question. And it, it dawned on this journalist that that they don't, 
they don't keep track of time in the same way that we do. Like they don't wear watches. They're just and in so the now. The idea of like the idea of five years is like, is a what? meaningless concept. Mm-hmm. Like they don't. This is what I was told. This is that they don't really pay attention to that kind of stuff. So that's an you know it's almost impossible for us to to even like conceptualize what that would be like to not track the years, mm-hmm. let alone not track the miles or the hours or the pace or whatever these watches are. You know, this whole quantified self-movement um, has become so ingrained into um, not just the multi-sport world, but, but our culture. You know, how we're always sort of checking where we're at. And I think there's a lot of value in that. It's, it's great to have, you know, improved self-knowledge about, you know, how your body functions, whether mm-hmm. it's your blood work or how your heart is beating. These are all good things and they're useful tools. But, but I think we get overly caught up in them and we lose sight of what's truly important. Yeah, you don't need any of that just to all run. day quantifying yourself, then you're not, <laughs> you're not actually, li- you're not living your life. Well, just, you know, qu- whatever, you right. know, whether it's running or something else. So sure. it's about, you know, kind of a bigger picture view. And it sounds like Dylan is starting to understand this. And I would say that that's a good thing, you know, and I think mm-hmm. that that's a, a, a quality that um, I would uh, foster and fertilize and hopefully will lead you into a new place and give you maybe a healthier perspective on on the world of multi-sport or your running and, and all of that and make it more enjoyable and, and also more sustainable um, within your life. And I think that's, you know, in me saying it, it's like I need to hear that for myself too. Right? Yes, that's what's so beautiful. Because I think part of my, I think, well, I think what what happens, what's what's happened to me is my competitiveness with myself has prevented me from continuing to race throughout this period of time. Because I tell myself, like, I don't want to show up at a race unless I'm 110 percent and ready to go. You know, I don't want to just be a middle of the pack guy. Mm-hmm. But how much of that is my ego? You know, maybe my life would be better and I would be enjoying it more if I was just going to all these races all the time and had completely released the idea that I need to perform at a certain level because, you know, I don't have the bandwidth to train um, like I did, you know, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. That's true. So it's something for me to think about. So Dylan, thank you for raising that and I will ponder that. Dylan, I think you're, yeah, you're, you're on the right track anyway. You're already in the discovery of it. And that's amazing to, uh, to witness. And it is really the energy. So it doesn't mean it's kind of like the same thing, um, in spiritual circles, like, you know, people go, well, if I'm, if I'm detached, then that means I just sit in my room and I don't do anything, but that's not, that's not it. It means that you're in the world and you're moving, but it's the energy with, with which you're in the world. So the energy with which you're racing. So as you start to convert that, it doesn't mean that you can't be competitive. You can be competitive, but the energy that you're being competitive with is different. So it comes more from love or more maybe just a, a test for yourself, like how far can I push myself? So it's between you and you, just like spirituality is between you and you. It has nothing to do with anybody else. So anyway, it's exciting. Keep us posted. You're you're amazing. You're doing incredible mm-hmm. things. Right. So he so, just ran Boston too, yesterday. Yeah. So he's getting ready for the next one. There you go. All right. Cue it up. What's next? Okay. So um, the next one. Um, I swear to God, I think Come I think on. I did this one. <laughs> it's Chris Perry. All right. But we may have read this one before. We'll try it. My current job is something that is no longer in alignment with my belief system, but it is the main source of income, medical benefits, and retirement planning for myself and my family. 
I am miserable at this current place and no longer want to be there. I have an opportunity to do a few other things that are jobs that resonate with where I'd like to go. And I realize that if you take a leap of faith, the universe will catch you concept. I really feel that I am there, but it is very scary. Any advice on how to know when this is right time? My fear is not being able to provide for my family, but I am visualizing being in a new place. Thanks, Chris, for your Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's another $64 question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Casey Neistat, who I've had on the podcast, he tells a story that's very similar, which is, you know, this is a guy who is living in a trailer and washing dishes and, you know, basically on food stamps and, and you know, had a child when he was 17 years old and on a lark moved to New York with no money and was able to get a pretty good high-paying job working in uh, Tom Sachs's studio, who's a very well-recognized artist in New York City. Um, and it was a good job, and he's providing for, you know, a baby when he's essentially still a teenager. And he was making little films uh, for Tom, and then he booked his first directing gig, directing a commercial. It was just, you know, some stupid commercial or whatever, but he, he made like $10,000, uh, which in 19, whatever it was, 90, I don't know what year it was, it was a while back. I mean, it was an okay amount of money for a young person, but certainly you're not going to sail off into the sunset with that. Um, and he, he decided to quit his job, and then he immediately leased the studio space that has become his office, which was like took up most of that paycheck with the first and last month and security deposit and all of that which is kind of insane without having any other gig, right? you know, and having a baby. And, you know, he was able to basically, you know, blast through whatever fear barriers and, and believe that he was going to be able to figure out a way to hustle and make it work. And now he's, you know, this amazing filmmaking talent with, you know, millions of YouTube views and all that kind of stuff. But that was kind of an insane decision. And so people, you know, want to emulate that and say to him, like, should I do that? Or I'm in a similar situation. And he's always like, I'm not recommending that you do that. Like, it didn't make logical sense. Mm-hmm. He just was compelled to make that decision, right? And whether it was fueled by pain or, or, or fueled by some deep, you know, intangible knowingness that that was the direction that he needed to go in. Who knows? But, you know, he made that, he made that leap and the universe conspired to support him. And that's not to say that, you know, people out there should just act irresponsibly. Like, I think it's not okay to just say, yeah, make, you know, do it, man, go for it. Like there are real life considerations that everybody has to take into account. You know, and I was terrified when I left my big law firm job and didn't know what I was going to do next. And I was terrified when I ultimately, uh, when Finding Ultra came out and I completely shuttered practicing law, you know, cause I'd been a solo practitioner after that for, for a number of years. Those are scary moments, you know, and those were moments where I took a leap of faith and I didn't know, you know, if the net was going to be there or what that net was going to look like or where I was going to make my next dollar. Like I just didn't, and there was no business plan, but I had a deep knowingness and a sense of purpose and faith that, that it was the direction that I had to take. And I was in pain, you know, pain is, as I always say, has always been my great motivator. So I think you have to, you know, what's the takeaway from that? Well, I think you have to really gut check, you know, like is, is, you know, are you living, you know, a life you don't want to be living? How important is 
is it to you to be doing something else? And are there things that you can responsibly be doing while you're still employed that you can bring into your life that can start to create the foundation for the life you want to live that you can step into so you can do it more gradually or more kind of fiscally, you know, responsibly. Um, And to the extent that that's not possible and you are faced with that decision, only you can make that decision. And it's really, you know, it's a test of faith. And I think that, uh, you know, it's really a matter of, of really doing an inventory on, on what it is that you want to be doing here on this planet in this short time and making that list, trying to control the things that you can control. And to the extent that there are things on that list that you can't, that's where the faith comes in. I mean, I think that, you know, yeah, that's all, that's all very true and very wise. I mean, in our case, you know, we certainly didn't, we didn't have a gradual, like we didn't have a gradual move. No, that, that's not what we did. So, oh, all we can do is share what we did. Of course, we aren't saying that, that w- this is what everybody should do. And, you know, I just can say very honestly that, you know, uh, the net wasn't there for us for quite a long time. And I, with all, you know, all my spiritual faith and everything, which basically is the core reason that I was able to hold the space for my family to go through this without my connection to spirituality or faith, we would not have made it. We would not have been able to do it. There's just, it's, it's, it would have been impossibility completely. But, um, I would say that, you know, when we, when we jumped, uh, and we were like, the net will catch you. <laughs> I think like, we bounced okay, on the pavement about <laughs> right, maybe yeah. 10 times well, first. I, we could really use that net <laughs> right now, right <laughs> that about now. That freaking net could come, you know? So, but you know, people, I mean, listen, my, my friends who've known us for years and, you know, I have a, one particular friend of mine, Tammy, who's, you know, I've known since college and, you know, she's a very, a very safe person and she's, you know, caught in a job cycle of a job that she doesn't like, that's not fulfilling her. She's pretty good at it. So, you know, it's okay. But, you know, she's always talking to me about, well, you know, in the beginning it would be when I was making the shift, it would be, well, you're luckier than I am, or you're like somehow that I was more privileged than another person, which is a complete illusion because we all have the exact same numbers, uh, you know, hours in the day. We all have the same opportunity to, you know, to find ourselves and go out and create the life that we were meant to live. Um, but now, you know, as she sees us, she's just absolutely in awe. I mean, she's completely in awe and just so much inspiration seeing what we went through because she knew the up close, you know, not, not pretty moments, um, which, you know, most people do not know yet. Um, so it's, a. it's, it's not, it's not that like catchphrase. Like if you take the leap, the the universe will catch you. It doesn't always work like that exactly, you know, in the Mm -hmm. timing. And I remember one time, you know, begging rich, like you got to let go of law so that we can swim to the other shore. (laughs) And it's like, I was like, you got to let go and you let, and so you let go. And then we were like, shit, you know, know. (laughs) there's no boat. (laughs) (laughs) And it was for quite a while, but I would say that, I, I mean, judging from your email, you are saying that you are in a career that is not that you're not enjoying right and i then i would say to you from this perspective if you only had four months left to live what would you be doing and that's just one of my go-tos and it's a go-to that i apply you know to my children and to rich and to you know everybody in my world because let's get really real about why we're here and time is precious and human life is a 
it's a privilege. It's a divine privilege. And so um, this planet has been mired in fear programs that has us all turned worshiping the Lord of greed, which is the money system. And, you know, there was even a time in Rich and My Transformation when we were, things were starting to catch and we could see that this life was beginning to set up. And yet our financial uh, world was completely in disarray. I mean, it was a, it was a mess and, you know, really bad. And we would, I realized at one point in the journey that we were judging ourselves. We were saying, okay, we're going to be spiritual warriors and we're going to risk everything and we're going to go out you know, naked and risk basically annihilation. And then we're going to judge ourselves based on the old paradigm rules, like the credit score and the bank balance. And then I was just like, this is insanity because you can't make the transformation. You, know, you can't serve two masters. You mm-hmm. can't serve greed and then say that you're on a spiritual path to discover your authentic self. Now, I'm not saying that that means you don't, you can't have money. Yeah, you can have money. You can have lots of money, probably more money than you did before you went through the transformation. But again, it's the energy behind it. It's you're free of the need of it. You don't need it. So you're doing what you love and then more sort of, it starts to catch and it's sort of like an energetic abundance thing. So I can say that life isn't easy. I can say that I believe in you. I can say to trust yourself. And I can say try to find gentler ways and ask that the transformation come with grace. Ask for grace. Ask for ease. But understand that true transformation is not for the weak-hearted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes back to the warrior path. So I think I would, I would cap that off by saying while you're pondering all of this, what are the things that you can be doing right now that you can build into your life that would, again, you know, brick by brick, start to create, you know, a foundation for a new way of living. And so it doesn't have to involve quitting your job immediately. Like, how can you involve yourself in the things that you're passionate about um, during your free time? You know, and I think we all have more free time. Like we just say, oh, we're so busy. I don't have any free time. Well, it's just a matter of priorities. So if this new life or, you know, this passion that's leading in you into a new direction has certain outlets, what, 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 what of those outlets are available to you now that you can bring into your life um, without completely disrupting it, you know, overnight and then start to, you know, move in that direction slowly. And I think that, you know, the more you connect with yourself and the more you, um, you know, invest in practices like mindfulness and meditation, then you're able to more clearly identify these signals and, have a greater chance of trusting your instincts and making the leap at the time that's best for you to do so. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very beautiful. Right, well cool. said. And one more thing, Chris, before um, we move on. Um, if you haven't read Oneness by Rasha, pick up a copy. It'll be your friend. Well, we'll put a link to that book in the show notes. Okay. Let's do one more. One more? Only one more? Yeah. Okay. Um, so... Uh, okay, this is from Anne-Marie Sutherland. What to do when your spouse doesn't agree that you should run marathons and 50K races due to potential health risks? I don't mm. get it. There's worse things in life, right? Mm-hmm. I would say yes, Anne-Marie, there are. <laughs> I disagree with you. <laughs> Not worse things, but yeah, having never run one. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, how, let's see, how do we break this down? I mean, 
<clears throat> so it's a married couple. I don't know. I'm assuming. Oh, they're together. A spouse, yeah. Right, spouse. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that, that an effective, healthy uh, relationship involves supporting each other in each other's passions. And, you know, you're not interested in running ultras. It's not something that you necessarily no. understand or have any kind of, like, grasp on, you know, what would compel me to do that. And you have plenty of things that you like to do, like wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and play the sitar that I'm never going to do. <laughs> And I don't understand that, but that brings you joy. That is very dangerous, too. (laughs) I'm like, what is going on? I could jump dimensions and never come back. (laughs) It's like Rave Shankar Explode into a puff of green smoke. What's happening in the the house? Uh, Yeah, and I come home, and there's a man in our house teaching you how to play this this ancient Indian instrument. And that's cool. Like, And I support you in doing that. I don't have to understand it. Um, the difference is that there's the, oh, this is a health risk, right, aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's about um, boundaries and mutual respect for each other. And if it's important enough to you and you enjoy it enough, then you can express to your spouse, like, listen, this is something that I really feel strongly about doing. I have a passion for it. And I need you to just have my back. You know, and I'll have your back on the thing that you're doing that maybe I don't understand or don't agree with. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it, it, it gets tricky with, I mean, it sounds like there's some, well, you know, these extreme distances are harming you. It's harming your health and I'm concerned for you. Is that truly the concern or is there something behind that that maybe is worth looking into and exploring? Yeah. And also I think that, you know, within relationships, again, it brings us back, gives us the opportunity to look at you know, how are we relating to each other? And, you know, are we relating to each other in just sort of a business arrangement? Like, you know, you agreed to do, you agreed to be this type of person and I agreed to be that type of person and that's why we're together. Or are you guys in for the transformation of a relationship, which has many different colors and many different, you know, states. And it's like, you know, if you're in this relationship, then within that relationship comes transformation and it comes, you know, certain, you know, certain activities and certain desires of individuals that might not be your choice. It might not be, it also might not be the safe thing. And I mean, Rich and I had a very profound, very, very profound moment in our journey. And it was actually, you know, when we were still very financially dismantled and, you know, not much was making sense, but Rich went on a training ride and he actually crashed on his face. And I got a call from a couple sweet ladies that had picked him up off the trail and, um, you know, went up to the Ojai hospital and walked in and saw him, you know, with, you know, double digit stitches in his face. And he was just, he was trashed and it hit me to the core. It shook me to the core because it felt like even more than a crash, it felt like we had been delivered in this new place. And I remember you were, I had you soaking in the bathtub and we have this amazing master bedroom Um, where the bathtub is actually right in the bedroom because I like to take baths a lot and I want to talk to Rich a lot. So I just had it put in the middle of the bedroom with no walls. So That was the whole thing. Like Julie wants to have a bathtub in our bedroom. That's right. So that's what we have. (laughs) That's what we have. So Rich (laughs) is in the the bathtub and he's just, I mean, he's unrecognizable. And it was so interesting because actually the girls were talking about, Jaya was talking to me about when she saw you after the crash and how it affected her and how you know, she was afraid to kiss you. And just recently, I actually haven't told you this. I'm just remembering this right now, but Jaya or Mathis? Jaya. Because Mathis came to the hospital. No, they both did. 
I don't remember. Yeah, well, you were. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so I was giving him, you know, some comfrey, comfrey drops that had been recommended by a healer um, that we called immediately after the hospital. And, you know, I just looked at him and, you know, he looked at me and it was bad. He, he had crashed badly, but gratefully his head was fine and, you know, all the insides and all that was seemingly fine. Although I still have no feeling in my lower lip. Yeah. You, well, yeah, you have some some I have all residue this scar from tissue that. on the inside of it's all swollen on, the on your mouth still, and like stuff. Many many years later. Yeah, but remember, I asked you that day. You know, you looked at me and, and you said, "What are you thinking?" And I said, "I'm thinking English patient because you literally were unrecognizable." And then I said to you, "So if this had been your exit point, is this what you want to do with your life?" And you said yes. And I said, "Okay, I'm in," because mm-hmm. how can I? How can I tell him that he can't do that because it's dangerous? I, I don't have that right. In, in, my, in my awareness, I don't have that right. And so I have to support him. Maybe it comes from me being you know, Mary, a, a child of a, of a bush pilot and a hunter and fisherman who went off for you know, three weeks, four times a year, and would just sleep on glaciers and fly his bush plane around and, you know, crash it and bend the propeller back. And, and, you know, my mom always let him go. Like she never tried to stop him from doing what he loved to do. And she doesn't, never did any of those things. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a, it's an opportunity for communication. And of course, within the sport, uh, you need to be as diligent as you can, you know, try to ride safe, try to ride with an ID tag, you know, try to... Or running. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's certain things you can do to make your spouse, you know, put them at ease a little bit, like get your blood tested, go to the cardiologist, like make sure that you're on top of these certain things that are causing consternation in your partner. And to the extent that those are being attended to, that might alleviate some of the stress. Um, And I just wanted to say that, uh, you know, there's no... in the way that there is no stasis in your life, like you're either growing or you're regressing, there's no stasis in a relationship. A relationship is a dynamic enterprise. And so when you, we have this notion, this sort of Disney, you know, fueled idea that like, oh, you get married and then it's this static thing and you are who you are and I am who I am. And this is what our relationship is. It's this thing right here. Um, But that's a complete illusion. You know, it's changing from moment to moment. And, you know, if you're with somebody for a long period of time, you know, people, you know, maybe at their core, they don't change, but there are aspects, you know, of each other that, that of course are changing all the time and it's never going to be the same. And so the idea is, you know, are you in, are you in for, are you in for all of that? Because it's a roller coaster, like, and are you willing to basically, you know, be an example of what you just shared, which is like being somebody who says, I'm not going to interfere with this person's, you know, passions. I'm here to support that. And that's a two way street. Or is it, Oh, this is not the person that I got married to. Like I didn't, I didn't, you know, this was not the bargain that I was making. You know, I thought you were this person and now you've become this person. And then is that, does that become an incompatibility issue? Mm Mm-hmm. I can't answer that for you. Sometimes it it does become that way. Sometimes in a relationship, somebody grows and the other person refuses to grow until they're no longer, you know, on the same playing field and the relationship doesn't work anymore. Sure. And that's okay too. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not a tragedy. No. That's like life. That's a completion of a relationship. Exactly. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. So, but, um, yeah, um, I think, 
the big opportunity is really communication. And I mean, at least with Rich and with me, that seems to be the, um, you know, the great space of power in our relationship is the ability to communicate both on and off the podcast. Mm-hmm. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Only when we're doing the podcast, not off the podcast. Only we don't the talk podcast. after the podcast. <laughs> That's right. All right, cool. We got to, okay. we got to lock it down. So, Thanks so much, you guys. Those are great questions. Thank you um, for the questions. And uh, if life doesn't get too crazy, I would like to just keep doing this. So if you guys are enjoying it, uh, let us know in the comment section on the episode page for this episode or leave us a, a note, uh, a, a comment on iTunes and let us know what you think. I'm always open to feedback. How can we make the show better? What are we not doing that we could be doing better? Who would you like to see me interview, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, what else? I think that's it. Let's close it down. So what else can I tell you? Uh, future Q&A podcast, please send your questions to info at richroll.com and we'll keep it up. And that's it for all the information, education, products, tools, resources, and inspiration you need to take your health, wellness, fitness, and self-actualization to the next level. The next level, Julie. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to ritual.com. <laughs> That's are. where I'm going. And where are we, where, where are we going to go if we want to uh, do these online courses that we've created? We're going to go to mindbodygreen.com. That's right. That's exactly where we're going to go. What, what, kind of, what kind of courses can you find there? Well, there's one that's called The Art of Living with Purpose, there which is, is your course where you share all your inspiration and all of your tools for goal setting and actualizing your best, most authentic self. And for the ultimate in plant-based cooking uh, and nutrition information, uh, Rich and I did a course there called The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition. That's right. That's what it's called. It's a good little companion piece to, to uh, our new book. It's cool. Um, yeah. So There's lots of stuff in check, there. Check that out, you guys. Mindbodygreen.com. You can find it right there. on the, Or just click video courses. I think it's right there at the top of the page. So, all right. Uh, Consider giving us a review on iTunes. Pick up the free app if you want to listen to some of the older episodes because iTunes only leaves the most recent 50 up there. Continue to support the show. Thank you for using uh, the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com. We didn't do any of that prefatory stuff. So we appreciate that very much. It really helps us out a lot. Uh, And keep uh, spreading the good message on social media and Thunderclap and all that good stuff. And we will see you in a couple of days. See you in a couple of days. You want to take us out? Peace. Plants. <laughs> Trying to make sense of everything in love Trying to sort What you think of me?
山。